Read from sheets. I am. I am. Sofa King. Sofa, Sofa King. King. We Todd Ed. We Todd Ed. Now repeat all very fast, please. I am Sofa King. Faster. I am Sofa King. We Todd Ed. No, no, not so fast. Lose this meaning. I am ah, so fucking with me, Todd. You say funny things. I told things. the witch doctor I was in <laughs> love rush. with you. And then the witch doctor, he told me what to do. He said that... <laughs> Okay, so here's the deal. Um, everybody knows at this point that we've been going through these crazy hiccups with the show behind the scene. And yep. Lobo has another system on the way to hopefully alleviate... I'm not even going to go into it. You don't, because you know what? The truck that will catch fire. Watch. <laughs> it's it, like that That seems to be become part of what the show is at this point to where we it's like a weekly ongoing thing. It's like what's going to happen with the Project Archivist podcast this week? Because yeah. we run this on the most Mickey Mousest of Mickey Mouse operations. And I'm amazed know, that man. we know some people that run it even worse than we do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and they have a ton of listeners, so there's that. So the story this week is, is we were supposed to record last night, which nobody knows the hell we were talking about, but our guest no. got well, the time zone mixed, thing, mixed up, and then computer problems, and Lobo's computer has been crashing on and on. It's it's a thing. We're, we're going to roll with it. So we have a gentleman by the name of Winston Conrad coming on this week. Winston Conrad is an attorney. He's got a blog. He's got a website. He's got a podcast. He's just an extremely interesting individual that turns out is an attorney who was in the Peace Corps and traveled the world and gravitated to more of the esoteric side of things when you're going to foreign countries, Um, which the closest thing that I've had is when I was down in Mexico and I sought out the Santeria, Santeria Shrine. Uh, Santa Morte, not Santa Maria, Santa Morte, yeah. correct. Um, I don't know why I said that. I've been playing Ghost Recon Wildlands, and Santa Morte <laughs> is all over that game. But um, so we contacted him, and we've been going back and forth. I learned about him through Patrick and Dennis over at the Almost Educational Podcast. I know I give those guys a lot of props, but they're friends of mine. They're local, and they cover some neat stuff every once in a while. And he was on there, and then he got in contact with us, and we were bouncing back and forth with Twitter for ideas, and we both found what each of us did interesting to one another. He finds our show interesting, and I found him very interesting. Long story short, we finally got him on. He was supposed to come on last night, but due to a uh, flux in time zones where he, I don't know, it just it was weird. It didn't work out, so we didn't record the show. And then we got him back on today, and we have this interesting conversation about his travels around the world and the different experiences and things that he saw. And if you're into, like... Um, well, he, he tells he talks about his experiences with witch doctors. He talks about his experiences with magical amulets, different cultures, uh, Muslim magic, uh, Muslim folklore magic. All of these things are discussed on this show. And he's just a really interesting cat. And the whole thing went off without a hitch. 
amazingly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, we will see you guys at the other side. Before we do, big shout out. Thank you to Danny Reese for throwing us a couple of bucks on our Patreon page. We really appreciate it. And we will jump right into the show and see you guys at the other side. Yay! Have you ever worked with anything any larger than a chicken? BillyWitchDoctor.com work mostly in chicken. Well, could BillyWitchDoctor.com maybe raise something else from the dead? Bigger than a chicken. Mega Ultra Chicken? No, shh, he is legend. Well, no, I mean, I was thinking more like a human. So with us today on the show, we've got Winston Conrad. You are somebody that I met through the Almost Educational podcast via Patrick. And you were on his show at least one time talking about werewolves. And then he kind of hooked us up and we've been going back and forth through the tweeter for a while now trying to set set something up. So now we got you here and I was just telling you off the air that you're somebody who's got this incredibly fascinating and deep, rich background And it was like, we need to get this guy on the show to talk about something because you've got your fingers involved in so many things. So go ahead and introduce yourself and give us a little dime store tour of who you are, and then we'll get rolling with this. Sure. Um, My name's Winston Conrad. I'm a writer and a a lawyer, and um, I was born and raised in in New Hampshire, uh, which is a sort of spooky, spooky place to grow up. and uh, always had an interest in the occult and uh, magic. Uh, got started reading the Greek myths at a very early age and have just sort of been on the lookout for the occult in my adult life. And I think the experiences that I've had that are most interesting for you guys and for your audience are probably tied up with uh, my personal experiences and observations during my service in the Peace Corps in West Africa um, from 2000 to 2002. Um, where I, I got an opportunity to meet a lot of um, what, what I would just sort of generally call witch doctors, although um, magical practitioners in West Africa, there's a sort of range of different kinds of practitioners that you're likely to meet, and the title's more or less appropriate for for some of them. But um, Senegal's got a great magical tradition, especially um, uh, for amulet magic. Um, so I thought I thought I'd tell you guys a little bit about that and and run through some of the concepts there if you're interested. Absolutely. You are the first occult attorney I have ever met <laughs> or even heard of. Most of the time when people say, yes, I'm an attorney, I have a tendency to want to go, I'm going to walk away over there and we're done here. But you're, I've never heard something, I'm an attorney and I'm into the occult and witch doctors and blah, blah, blah. And I have a deep knowledge base of all things esoteric. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I see Funnily enough, I see the the practice of law as a magical practice. Um, you know, it, it, if you think about uh, the construction of amulets, for example, um, it, a person typically has a complaint. They have a problem. Uh, they go to a practitioner who understands the sort of spiritual bureaucracy. Um, that person prepares a, a sort of complaint or a plea for relief, um, and that has to do with using very specific signs and signals. Um, and you have to make the request to the right authority. And if you ha- line all those things up correctly, then your your request will be granted and you'll receive the relief that you need. And to me, that that describes a legal process or uh, the, the purpose of a magical amulet. So 
how how did you end up in Africa dealing with witch doctors? Then let's start there. Let's how how does you said you went into the Peace Corps. So when you end up in wherever you are in Africa, and then like boom, hi, I'm I'm the local tribe witch doctor. Is that is that how? What, how does a person end up going being an attorney and talking to witch doctors? Well, so I, I wasn't an attorney at the time. I had just finished my undergraduate degree, which was in uh, literature, and I spent a lot of time studying uh, fine art. And um, I grew up in a sort of working class uh, family, and had had not previously left the country. But I did a year abroad um, in the UK as part of a foreign exchange program, and was excited by all the sorts of different people that I met, and that sort of motivated me to um, join the Peace Corps to try and uh, go someplace and learn another language, um, expose myself to a different culture. And uh, Africa just happened to be the place where um, I was sent. And uh, I mean, I've always been interested. I'm a huge fan of um, Wade Davis. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, yep. him or his works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like Serpent and the Rainbow, I think, is, oh, is yeah, a yeah. fascinating book. Um, <clears throat> and I very much appreciate his approach to um, to the, the kind of respect that he extends to field uh, practitioners of witchcraft and, and, and medicinal arts. Um, and so when I was posted in West Africa, I decided that one of the major um, goals for myself was to try to emulate his process a little bit and get to know people um, and, and engage them with what their beliefs and practices were. And as it happens, although the the country itself that I was posted in Senegal is predominantly Muslim and, and quite devoutly Muslim. There is a, a magical tradition that extends to almost every exchange that people have. There's some magical aspect to it. Um, so uh, I met people who were members of the Muslim brotherhoods. Um, there are a couple of significant Sufi brotherhoods in Senegal. They're, they're a mystical branch of Islam. And, uh, you know, they're, they're quite engaging and they're quite open about their beliefs, um, which often have magical components. Um, I learned some secret hand signs and, um, and handshakes that, that identify you as a member of the group. And, and, um, and I met a lot of folks out in the bush who just happen to have a magical knack, um, and spend time drinking tea and talking to them. See, every time that I hear something, it's the same thing with me and Christian magic, which I've brought up many times on the show. Anytime you have a very devout religious order that seems very um, stringent in their beliefs, and then I hear that underneath that there is a some kind of a mystical, magical suborder in that, I always get bewildered by how can that survive in such an environment like that. So the concept of a Muslim magical order of some kind, it, it kind of blows me away. So, you know, cause it, like with, 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 well, I guess in America, it's an, it's primarily seems to be an American thing for the most part where you have fundamental Christianity then to say, Oh yeah, there's, there's, you know, Christian magic and blah, blah. And they kind of give you this look like, like you're a dog that just did a mathematical problem in front of them. You know, it's like, what, you know, and I'm kind of getting that same impression now when you say that there's a, a Muslim mystical order in these third world countries. It's like, how how can something like that exist and what does that pertain of? Yeah, so, so I mean, there are various degrees of sort of acceptability for um, magical beliefs within 
uh, w within even the mystical groups in in Senegal, there are varying orders of uh, acceptance for mm. tradi traditional magics. Like one one sort of interesting thing, and there is a there is a tension there. And one interesting thing is that um, traditional magic is referred to in the local language as cherem, um, which um, it's very difficult to do any sort of etymological analysis of the languages there because they're very poorly documented. And most of them, like the, the, the word that the language that that word comes from is not a, a formal language. It has no dictionary or anything like that. But to, to my way of thinking, um, it sounds very similar to the Arabic word haram, um, which means forbidden. Um, so I, I, I think even, even within the word that's used to describe magic, there's a sense that it's sort of a naughty practice. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not done constantly, like uh, and very openly. So one of one of the major modes of transport around the country are these um, Volkswagen buses, and the Volkswagen buses are very elaborately painted, and they're painted um, both with Muslim blessings, uh, like in Arabic or or in uh, Roman script. You'll see the word Alhamdulillah, which means um, praise be to Allah, um, uh, and that's one ward against an accident um another kind of ward that you see on these these cars is that they'll have eyes painted on the front of the car which is not dissimilar from the practice of painting eyes on um ancient egyptian and greek vessels they were called wajet um and those eyes are meant to see and to look out for obstacles um another practice it's still basic magical practice is uh you'll often see hanging from the rear view mirror or from the trailer hitch, um, a flip flop or, or a, a shoe that's sized for a small child. Uh, and that's believed that, you know, Allah would not allow the, an accident for a vehicle that had a child on it. And so you're sort of like fooling Allah a little bit. <laughs> it's the spiritual equivalent to baby on board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, this stuff it's kind of, it sounds like like american folk magic like uh what you hear discussed in a long lost friend or something along those lines where it's just little like prayer like cantrips and spells along those lines that it's kind of done way you know out and wide open you know and if you weren't if you didn't know any better you would just say oh look someone painted eyes on that car or there's a little flip flag you know now now if i see something like that I, you know i'll go oh okay i know what that is you know but it's one of those things where there's a thing in the motorcycle community where you put a little bell on the bottom of your motorcycle and there's different varying stories about it. Some people say that it's put on there for to ward off to ward off evil spirits and, and give your protection while you're riding a motorcycle. And there's another one that states that it's you, you put a, in remembrance of someone who passed away riding a motorcycle. And they always put the bell at the bottom of the motorcycle. But it's one of those things where it's like if you're not Just in keep the know. away. Yeah, that's the other one. It's to keep. Yeah. yeah, there's actually a big long thing that goes in behind it. Um. You have to, the bell has, you can't purchase a bell. Someone has to give you a bell if you're a motorcycle rider. You can't just go out and buy one and put it on the bottom of your bike or something. But it's one of those kind of things where it's like you see that and you go, oh, there's a bell there. And you, you know, you kind of like wonder what that's about. So it sounds like a lot of these practices are very much along those lines where they're done out in the open, but people just don't know about it. They see it as like a decorative thing when there's actually deeper connotation to it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's one of the sort of exciting things too is the commonality of logic that you see uh, across different folk magical practices. They're they're very um, they're very direct in their symbolism, and that's that's part of what makes them uh, 
um, exciting to me is that they're very they're very accessible. Once somebody explains to you why a particular superstitious practice is undertaken, it kind of it almost immediately reveals itself as pretty sensible. So, how did you go from talking to people in Muslim countries about their mysticism thing to ending up in Africa talking to witch doctors? Yeah, so, um, I think you know. It, it, in in there's a lot of spare time when you're in the Peace Corps. They, they, you know, I was working in an agricultural program, and and the people are very curious. They want to ask you questions, and um, and, and excited to speak to somebody from the outside because they don't they they don't get to meet that that often. Um, and so, like, uh, that's part of the reason why it was easy for me to search things out and all. Also, you know, it's just strange things happen in Africa all the time. It's a kind of magical place where the unexpected is 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 very commonplace. Um, you know, I I got picked up uh, at one point uh, walking through the bush. I was walking from the main road out to the village where I was living, which uh, was a good uh, six mile trek through the. Oh, it's a hike. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and it's a long walk, and 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 I would take a ride if I could if I could get one, but it's very rare to see automobiles, and 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 sometimes somebody on a horse cart would pick me up, but out of nowhere comes this beat up car, the guy stops and offers me a ride, um, because he sees a white guy, and that's a strange thing to see, and so I I agree because you know when you're on an adventure, it's best to just agree to everything. Um, and so, so I got in. <laughs> And there's there's no floor on this car, you know. You can just see the dirt and the rocks whizzing by, uh, with, with your feet up on the frame. Uh, and this guy's driving along, and uh, I started talking to him about what what he does, what he was up to out in the bush in this beat up car. And uh, it turned out he was a sugar smuggler, um, because I, I lived in a, a border region with an with another small country in West Africa, and that that country they happen to subsidize uh, the sugar. Uh, has to do with their trade relationship with England. Um, and so a, a, a way to make some money is to buy subsidized sugar in the other country and then sneak it over the border so you don't have to pay import tax wow. and resell it on, on our side of the, 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 you know, you know, the border. There are worse and, things to smuggle. <laughs> I never, <laughs> I never would have thought sugar smuggling was a thing. <laughs> I hadn't either, but as it turned out, it's 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 a big thing there. So much so, like there's gunshots. You know, I would hear gunfire at night being exchanged between the sugar smugglers and the border guards. Wow, uh, it was like a big deal. Um, and this guy started to show me all of his um, uh, his magical charms um, that that he wore as sort of part of his business. And he had charms that would make him bullet him bulletproof, and uh, charms to make him self-invisible um uh you know he had all these great magical charms and so i i asked him who who i should talk to about uh, getting a bulletproof charm or, or getting an invisibility charm and and he gave me a couple of leads um that i ended up tracking down so uh, that 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 you know Apart from that, there are there are people who are not necessarily in the business of magic who are still doing magical things like um the the city where the main road was that I would walk in from um, was a holy city for one of the Muslim brotherhoods in the in the region, and um, some of the imams, the 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 Muslim um, priests, were considered to be holy men there. And a common practice would be to go to them and 
um, ask them to pray for you and you would hold your hands out, palm up in front of him. And he would, um, kind of, um, flick a little bit of spittle onto your hands. He'd kind of go, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, spit, uh, and then you're meant to wipe that on your face. Um, because the, the, his fluids are, are magical, you know? Yeah. I've heard that before. <laughs> I can think of worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so yeah you you have the whole range i mean i met people who were that's all they do is is construct charms um there was one old uh pular man i met who used to sit under a tree and um oh, hanging from the tree were all these little amulets which is how i could tell what his stock and trade was you know and uh i spent a lot of afternoons uh sitting with him just having tea um, asking ab- about the different amulets because there are some that are are very formal and you can recognize them by their shape or color. Like there's a particular amulet that um, uh, small children uh, a- almost always get and it's to protect them from illness and it's uh, wrapped in red plastic and it's triangular. And uh, you're always going to see a kid wearing one of those. Um, whereas for example, the bulletproof or the invisibility one is almost always a, a, in the form of a belt that goes around the midsection, um, which I found kind of interesting. I, I've, I've always been interested in werewolf myths and uh, transformative myths. And those are often described as uh, belt operated, you know, yeah. it's either uh, a belt or a, a belt or a cape of some kind made out of animal fur or animal hide or something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a very similar sort of thing going on there. Um, I've met a number of fortune tellers. That's that's one that, you know, sometimes you'll meet people who only have one magical feat that they can perform. Uh, fortune telling is, is one of those sort of like one-off uh, possibilities. Um, that usually involves uh, a couple of small coins and a bunch of uh, cowrie shells um, that are tossed on a piece of cloth. And the arrangement of uh, the the coins and the the cowrie shells allows a person to tell a fortune, which I, I found interesting as well. It's a, also very common, you know, sort of casting of bones or or, or that sort of thing is a very common fortune telling uh, technique. It's very popular there. So let me ask you then, what exactly is a witch doctor? Well, so a witch doctor, uh, I think of as somebody who, um, their their magical knowledge is is largely individual and personal. Um, so there are these sort of common traits that you find across the magical practices, but the witch doctors, it's not like there's a witch doctor academy or anything like that. <laughs> That's um, awesome. and there's no there's no reference text you know um and people are crafting their own sort of magical sense um by themselves um and they're, they're drawing from ideas that are common in the area or around them but they're also based on personal experience and they run the gamut from um sort of what we would consider in the West actual medical practices. So like you you make this kind of tea when a person has this kind of sickness and many of those literally function as medicine, you know, they will rid you of parasites or, 
um, uh, treat a fungal infection or, or what have you. And then you have things that are, are maybe a little more abstract. So like um, the, an amulet has, has, there are three different words that you could use for an amulet in Wolof, in the language in the, of the tribe that I lived with. Um, so there's one that's pretty much just, just amulet, which is galaj. Um, and then the other two names I find very interesting. One is tere, which means book, um, which does describe the fact that most of them these days are pieces of writing. They're, they're um, Arabic diagrams and uh, sort of mystical geometries and those sorts of things, So, uh, and which is then folded into a little square and, and sewn into a leather pouch. That's the, the form of most of the amulets. Um, so they are a kind of book. Um, but the other word is maybe even more interesting, which is um, garab, which is a word that means both tree and um, uh, 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 medicine. Um, and the fact that the word for a tree and the word for medicine are the same word, I think, is very sensible. You know, most of the medicines are tree-based. And then uh, apart from that, I, I suspect that at an earlier time, rather than having written amulets, there were probably more amulets made of sticks or or bark and i say that because i i did encounter a couple of situations in which sticks or bark were used as amulets for example my my wife was also a volunteer in west africa out on a coastal village and her villagers gave her uh an, an amulet that was made out of a piece of wood um and and a an older woman in my village had a toothache which was cured by uh, putting a knotted piece of bark around her neck, which she wore as an amulet until it fell out. And when the amulet fell out, her tooth fell out. Hmm. Um, so I, I suspect that those are the older sorts of practices, these sort of wooden tree based. Um, so is this a tradition that's like, okay, right off the bat, when somebody says witch doctor, the immediate thing that comes to most people's mind is like the Gilligan's Island guy walking around oh, with the shrunken geez. heads, this, you know, the shield and the ooga booga, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So obviously we're not talking about that direction. So having sometimes, sometimes we're talking about that direction. The, the Pular guy that I knew who sat under the tree, he was pretty, pretty close to that. And there's another guy that I can think of offhand uh, who I used to see around one of the cities that, that, that I spent time in um, who sold um, amulets to prevent snake bites. And he'd walk around town with like 30 or 40 venomous snakes uh, wrapped around his arms. Um, and, and he was pretty damn close to the, to this weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, are we talking like the straggly unwashed hair, the overgrown face, messed up teeth, you know, one eye stares to the left kind of deal or all that. All that, all that, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the, that's a real and and guys with um, magical scarification and tattoos. There's that uh, definitely. I mean, one of the more common things that you see in the Pular tribes is they're almost like quotation marks um, on the outer edges of uh, the eyes um, uh, that are that are tattoos. They're done with a you, you do them with like a, a razor blade and some uh, some coal. Um, but the, that's a ward against the evil eye. But I, I've seen people with elaborate tattoos that cover most of their body that have magical purpose. All right. So, I mean, it, it gets that, it gets that extreme, but here's a dumb question. I have to cut you off. If I yeah. saw somebody like this, 
Well, I've had I've had somewhat dealings with people like this. And my attitude is these people are crazy. I need to get away from them. So how do you go about walking up and talking to a guy that looks like a homeless vagrant walking down the street with 30 poisonous snakes wrapped around him? I mean, did you walk around town saying, hi, I'm looking for the local witch doctor? God, I want to start singing that stupid song. But um, (laughs) I mean, how do you go about talking up to somebody who basically looks like Charles Manson with snakes wrapped around him? How I mean, it sounds like family to me. Are, are they are they cool? I mean, how do you how do you do that? Hi, I'd like to talk to you. And are they cool to you or do they do they give you the strange? Do they give you an attitude because you're a foreigner in their country or do they try dropping some mystical weird mojo stuff on you to freak you out? I, these are all things where I'm like, I don't think I want to be near that guy. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, I think I think nearly all of them they, they are maybe maybe a little crazy. Uh, you know, it's. Magic is one of the ways that a society like an African tribal society can keep people in in as a functional, useful part of the civilization. You know what I mean? There's not like a an insane asylum where, where villagers send off a villager who hears voices. You know, mm-hmm. and instead they find a way that the person who hears voices might be useful to them. And I, I do have, see Lobo, there you go. We're all good here. Huh? <laughs> go ahead. I, I do have experience dealing with people with, with, uh, you know, I've, I've worked in um, mental institutions and, and um, with adults with serious, um, you know, developmental disabilities and things like that. So I did, a, I have a little bit of training in dealing with people um, who might, might turn violent or might not share my, um, sense of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean that, 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 that bit of knowledge is helpful. I, I always came in a very respectful sort of posture. Mm-hmm. Um, and without, you know, it's from my perspective, it's not my place to mock somebody's beliefs or try to pick them apart or anything like that. So I wasn't there to challenge no, but you, I always get this impression like that this is this is sacred knowledge and you're kind of an outsider. Like you're the you're the white guy coming to this area being like, hey, you know, I'm I'm interested in what you do. You know, can you tell me some things? Can you teach me some things? You know, I'm I'm being that uh, again, I, I don't have a rationale to comprehend with it because I've really never dealt with this kind of thing. You know, I would I would either be a afraid to go approach these people and B, I would be afraid that if I did approach them, they wouldn't have anything to do with me because I am the outsider that's coming in. A lot of times with these cultures you hear about, they guard this knowledge very much. They keep it close to themselves. They don't want to share it with anybody and they're there for a purpose and you don't fit into that purpose. So, you know, where uh, yeah, and, and and there there is a bit of that. There there were folks who who were who were cool to me, you know, initially or or never really warmed up to me, and that's that was that was fine as well. You know, there are enough people around that that you can find folks who who are willing or interested in discussing or, um, you know, there uh, there were folks who were concerned about me. Um, my my villagers, some of them did not think that it was a good idea. It was that it was dangerous for me. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to be engaged with these sorts of people. Um, especially since they knew that I, I drink alcohol, um, and, and smoke, mm-hmm. um, because both of those things are attractants to, to gin. Um, and, mm-hmm. and you, if you spend time around witch doctors and you're drinking and smoking, then you, you might get possessed by a genie. 
Um, so yeah, we're know, not that, talking Aladdin here. We're like Disney's Aladdin or anything. <laughs> that, that, that. No, no, more like a demonic force. Well, um, see, I've been told different things. And fire. Yeah, the demons. I mean, the genre made of of essentially hot plasma and things, and they are. You've got good degen and you've got bad degen where they're they're kind of like angels or something. They're they're like the, well, they got mankind. Uh, you've got humans, you've got angels, and then you've got degen who are like another state of being. Not not by being like you know they're just another form of creature or a form of of thing for the most part. And from what it was described to me from all these years that I studied, you've got good degen and you've got bad degen. They're just like people, you know. But for the most part, they're they um they're they're kind of jealous of mankind because mankind was given domain over the earth and i'm just taking off the top of my head i'm grabbing little bits and pieces of vision history that i remember for the most part um so the idea that a vision possessing you you know it's 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 kind of like well is this a bad vision or a good vision or you know where do you go well, with even, that even even the good ones like the i think the thing about the jinn is that they're so other that that regardless of their intentions, they're problematic. Um, my, my, my village had all sorts of headaches tied up with gin. Um, Oh, really do tell. <laughs> well, first, if you're going to do this, since we're transitioning out of that into this, describe what a degen is for people who don't know. I know there's probably a good chunk of our audience that do know, but there's probably a good chunk that don't that are still along the assumption that, Generally, genies that from a Disney movie, you rub a bottle and they come out and they grant you wishes, which is not at all true. That's folklore for the most part. Well, it's all folklore, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think I think you outlined some of the salient aspects pretty pretty thoroughly. There, they are a kind of they're they're certainly a sort of spiritual force. There to categorize them as an angel or a devil would be sort of reductive. They're um, they're they're a creature created by Allah. Um, that is not human. Um, and, and they're, they're powerful. The, you know, there are visualizations of them, but for the most part, the, the jinn that my village would deal with were, were not visible. You know, they, 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 they didn't have a need to manifest themselves, um, uh, physically. They made their presence known otherwise. They, and they are associated with fire. Like the, the biggest problem my village had with jinn had to do with, um, a particular spot in the village where every time they would build a hut, it would burn down. Um, oh, okay. And Stay away from there. <laughs> yeah, they, they figured, okay, so there's a jinn there. They, they still wanted to build a hut there, so they brought in um, some different imams to bless the site and to try to communicate with the jinn to determine what what sort of complaint it might have or what issue it might have with the use of that spot. And those attempts were ultimately not successful. And so the, the site was abandoned, um, as, as a, as a spot for residents. So it was one of the, I, I found out about that one, just sort of asking about why a particular spot was vacant, um, in the village. Uh, but yeah. And then, uh, there, the concern always with people who had behavioral issues was that, you know, maybe they might be possessed by a jinn and maybe they should go see the imam and, and get some blessings and so forth. And I, I found in a lot of contexts, um, jinn are a way to sort of morally exempt a person who had a drug or alcohol problem or, or you know, some, some behavioral issue that rendered them antisocial. Um, rather than blame the person, which would be very disruptive for the community, 
uh, you blame the sickness, right? Um, and the sickness is attributed to this this celestial force, this this gin. Um, Man, I must have been loaded with gin then. <laughs> yeah, you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I'm not sure we're talking about the same gin, but okay, sure. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now that uh, rather than j- drink gin, there that the the alcohol of choice was Zoom Zoom. Uh, zoom is, Zoom. That sounds like something you put in your car. Mazda. It it, <laughs> it, it, it it tastes like something you put in your car, and uh, <laughs> that's awesome. And, I actually <laughs> did put it in my car, and. Uh, <laughs> Well, you, you'd also buy it in containers that would usually involve stuff that you put in your car. Like they, they would have these uh, Gas have these little bottles of coolant everywhere because the it's hot as hell and the vehicles overheat. So they sell these little, they're like um, uh, 50 minute, five hour energy drink or whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. that, that sort of size bottle, but of coolant. And then after the coolant's drained out of it, they rinse it out a couple of times and fill it with stuff like Zoom Zoom. Oh, that's good. That's a good way to go blind and or destroy your intestines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so what do they make it out of? Uh, I th- it, it's really the most basic kind of alcohol production process. It's like sugar and, and yeast. It's, it's, and, ah, that, okay. and that's about it. It's, it's just rock gut. <laughs> Reminds me of home. <laughs> uh, it mixes okay with Fanta if you got enough Fanta. <laughs> I'm well, you know ass- what else does? Puerto Rican rum mixes wonderfully with Fanta, and that stuff will burn your guts out. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I've been told that uh, Fanta is all over there. It's like the Coca-Cola that you know we have here. Fanta oh, is the big thing there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Fanta. You see it, Fanta and Chupa Chups, which is another sort of thing. Yeah, lots. Yeah, yeah. Those are, I love so, those are the best. But yeah, my, my village had had one place in particular that they told me to steer clear of. There's a, um, there's a. It, speaking of magical practitioners, this is probably one of the higher level ones. And I didn't ever actually go to meet him, um, in part because of the warnings. Um, there's a, the the central holy city in the country. Um, I, I went to visit, um, uh, because it, I, I find. I found the local religious practice fascinating. And um, along the way on the road there, there there's this huge compound with um, a, a giant mosque built out of uh, bundled uh, reeds. And it's a just the most gorgeous thing. Uh, and I, I had asked my villagers about about this thing because it seemed really impractical to me. Uh, the, the reed bundle uh, architecture, it takes you have to replace it almost every year because the wind and the rain and uh, termites will, will destroy it. And so, you know, this mosque has to be rebuilt constantly. Um, And my villagers all told me to steer clear there because the imam um, was such a powerful magician that it was believed that if you just stopped to, to visit, you would be sucked into his cult of personality and end up trapped there in service to him and in the construction of this temporary mosque. Um, and apparently that had happened to one of the big, uh, local stars. Um, and so that well cemented, he, he, he was almost like a vampire kind of figure. 
uh, you, you know, like this super seductive, ultra powerful uh, imam. Like Lestat. Yeah, I kind of regret not having gone to visit, you know? Uh, that's the sort of thing. Um, I don't know. Maybe I would have got sucked in, you know? That, that <laughs> might have been cool. <laughs> maybe. So of all these people that you met, did you actually learn any of these practices? Did, the, did any of them bother to take the time to teach you how to make a charm or, or how? Because to be honest with you, what you're describing sounds a lot like Jewish folk magic, from what I understand. Um that you do what you have with what you have. If you only have a leaf, you know, you use a leaf and spit to make a spell for the most part. But did yeah. any of these people sit down and say, you know, do you, would you like to learn any of this? Did, you know, or because again, with most of the people, they, they don't seem to want to teach this stuff or it's a very shamanic thing where you have to have gone through something in life to be able to practice this stuff. Were these people cool with teaching you any of this? Well, well, I, I wanted to say firstly that I think that the comparison is an apt one. Uh, my my wife is a, a North African Jewish uh, woman, and she, you know, she had commented on the similarity of a lot of the beliefs and practices there. You know, there's a lot of evil eye wards and and charms in North African Jewish culture. And they're very similar to some of these West African practices. So, so yeah, absolutely. But, um, I think, you know, to answer your question though, no, uh, I, I did not learn, uh, the specifics of any of the magical practices. I think that's part of the reason why people were comfortable talking with me is because I, I did, I was not looking to, um, uh, shed light on their secrets. Although I'll say part of part of the reason for that is that I, I understand these things as more important sort of structurally than in the details. You know, um, I understand what the practitioners are doing when they create an amulet. And to me, the specifics of the marks that they make on the paper are irrelevant. You know, um, I, I could follow um, the all the details of a ritual from the um, grimoire the black pullet for example um, or I could make up uh, my own ritual I, I, I feel like the amulet that I produce will be as powerful or as weak uh, at when it comes out regardless you know you yeah. know what I mean yeah, it has to do with focus of intent that's with any magical practice actually yeah, yeah. I so know for stuff that I've done in the past, it's been, you know, it's it has to do everything with intent. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the particular uh, materials you're using or anything. I mean, I have, I don't know if I want to get this far into it, <laughs> actually, now that I'm talking. <laughs> no, you're there now, so you're in. It's, there's been, you know, you have certain people that follow practices of candle magic, which is, you know... Um, focus of intent you you can uh carve into the candle what you want done you can place ribbon around it you can put uh, various strings you can embed things in the wax you can actually burn things with the candle and use that as a force but it, it has to do with intent a lot of people get bogged down with you know particular practice the way it's written whereas i know from what uh, the experience i've had and the information that i've been given because of the roots that I come from, there isn't really a particular book or guide. So when you were talking about how they go about their practice, the differences between a witch doctor and a shaman and, you know, a holy man or a sacred man, 
horrible core. They, they, it's usually focus of intent, what their practices are, where their area is, and what their strong suits are. If they, if I know for me personally, if I have a question that uh, I'm not particularly adept in, I will send the person asking the question to the person that can answer it instead of trying to figure it out on my own. Like if I have a, if I have trouble with my transmission, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bring my car to, you know, have it detailed. I'm going to bring it to a transmission shop. Yeah. 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 And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much in agreement. Uh, I, I, as I think about it, I do know the details of a couple of magical acts. Uh, there, there, there's one that involves writing, um, blessings on uh, tea leaves, Mm -hmm. uh, before you put them in the tea and and there I would say what you write on there could be any number of things because you would still have the same focus intent you create the symbol you consume the symbol um and and th- that to me is what a lot of this is is about signs and symbols you create something that symbolizes something else then you enact upon the symbol that you created the change that you want to happen mm-hmm. to the to the to the object so here's here's another one people are very superstitious about eggs you don't want to find an egg just lying around um, mm-hmm. because a person, you can take an egg and whisper a curse into that egg and then you leave the egg where the person is likely to tread upon it. And then if the person does break the egg, then the, the spell is as certain as... That sounds like gypsy magic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, not, they're not too far. They're not too far different. I know you can... You can... In my family, you can pass an egg over a person and remove uh, ill intent or or the idea of removing ill intent. I think it has a lot more to do with the fact that the person believes that it's being done. And then the egg can be cracked. And, you know, if there's a blood spot in the egg or if the egg just doesn't look right or, you know, we've had people, you know, pull the wool over other people's eyes by blowing eggs. You know, they remove the yolk and you can replace other things inside the egg, liquid form. And then when it hardens... You know, you crack the egg open and, oh, my God, there's like black dye in there and stuff because it removed the sin from you and you've disposed of it. It's yeah, some of a, it is. There's a similar sort of thing. I, I went to a, a good friend of mine, Pakistani guy, um, got married and they had an imam come over and had a pair of um, white chickens that sw- they swung over their heads. Mm-hmm. To collect up all the all the sins, and then uh, we we released them in a park in Brooklyn. <laughs> it's, it's oh, released of, them, huh? An, wow. Yeah, scape, scapegoat style, you know. <laughs> yeah, we we had a uh, when I was a kid, a little kid, we had a uh, friend of the family. Uh, they were having issues with uh, one of their children, and they brought the uh, white chicken in and did their thing, and then they slaughtered the chicken and ate it. I was like, isn't that like? They're like, no, no, the blood is what washed it away, and we're supposed to consume the flesh because now it's. I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm I'm down for fried chicken. I'm cool. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. But it, the the letting of blood from it was the release of, um, the flawed behavior. Or there's a lot of different practices that are done. I mean, my my family's part of my family's from the island Puerto Rico, and my I'm only two generations removed from the slave trade that was brought there. So, I mean, a lot of weird stuff was brought over. I say weird only because I've witnessed it firsthand. It, to an outsider, it, it, it seems bizarre when it's going on. But once you understand why they're doing it and why it's such a long practice, 
it brings like peace of mind to them because it's something that's worked for them. You know, when you when you had people come down to the island or, or anywhere else in the world and they start talking about their religious beliefs, you have no idea what they're talking about. They claim what they're doing is working for them, but you're rooted in stuff that works for you. So there's that initial skepticism of why are these people doing this? They're backwoods. They don't know what they're doing. But for them, it works, and it's worked for generations. It just seems peculiar from an outside you know, perspective. Yeah, and I, I very much respect, you know, the... I think the more jarring practices are the ones that involve bloodletting mm-hmm. or, or uh, you know, uh, personal uh, mutilation. The, the, and those those sorts of things can be very distressing. But um, I, I I respect that most of the folks who are engaged in those practices come from a world that is a lot more intense and brutal than the one that I live in, and that the methods that they use in order to gather and direct their focus uh, are methods that I might not need to resort to. I can, I can maybe get there by through breathing practices and, um, you know, meditation and, 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 uh, or or creating signs and sigils, you know, I, I maybe don't need that kind of intensity, but I don't live that kind of intense life either. So, um, you know, all, I, I feel I, I feel a great deal of respect for for the people who are still engaging in practices that we might find disturbing. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a way of life for them, though. Yeah, you know, for us, it's strange. Normal. But for that, that's just yeah, exactly. It's their normal. Yeah. And, and, and I found that, you know, although many times the very literal objective truth of the magical effects might not be within the sort of sphere of things that I would believe, you know, like, so the, the bulletproof and invisibility amulets, I actually, I own, um, an amulet that is alleged to have these effects. Mm -hmm. And, um, I guess I feel about them similarly to the snake charm that I used to wear regularly there. Um, you know, I, I did kill a couple of deadly snakes and so they were definitely around. I saw them. Um, and yet I, I never got bit. So presumably the amulet works, right? Um, sure. You have no proof it doesn't. You're how here. does an invisibility amulet work? Is this, I have to ask that. I, the, the bulletproof one, they, I, they probably work the same way. Does an invisibility amulet work where like people, you don't have to make you invisible, but people just don't notice they you? Don't Is notice that you, the other? They don't see you. Yeah, yeah, and it took me a while to understand that that was what was meant. But uh, and, and quite reasonably, in some ways, the practitioners they don't they don't make any kind of distinction between those things. But uh, but I do mm-hmm. gather that what what was meant is that you you won't be observed, not that you'll literally bend light or anything like that. No, people just don't pay attention to you. So I'm assuming the bulletproof one works. Where it's like if you are involved in a gunfight that you just don't get shot (laughs) it's not where if you get shot the bullet bounces off of you you just for whatever reason the bullets just don't hit you correct yeah Yeah, absolutely and and you know the common invitation was that if you like well to test the amulet we'll tie it around a, a chicken and you can shoot the shoot at the chicken um but I've got a little bit of experience with firearms and I'll say you know it's not easy to hit any kind of target especially Ooh. not a living one, um, uh, you know, uh, apart from which the firearm maintenance in Africa is very poor 
and the chances of some kind of misfire are really significant. So, you know, the cynical part of me says that most of the amulets are working most of the time just because most of the time tragedy doesn't befall us. Fortunately, you know, 60% of the time it works every time. (laughs) 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 And then, and then the the sort of way of things magical when, when it doesn't work, there's a reason it's because the, you know, whatever the stars were wrong or there was a flaw in the production or a fault on the part of the wearer or, you know, so it's always a flaw in the part of the wearer. Sounds like computer programmers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's not our problem. It's your system. (laughs) Every engineer I've ever worked for. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, I got to ask you one about one more thing before we let you go. And it's a thing on your website that you sent me whose word starts with a W that wop wop. I'm not, you know what? I'm not even going to try to say it. You know what that is. So. (laughs) Walpurgis snatch. (laughs) Walpurgis knocked. Thank you. Yes. You know I it. hate both of you. Okay, then. Moving on. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, what is this? And what? tell me about what this is, because it looks bizarre. Yeah, so, Walpurgisnacht is um, a holy night, um, and it's sort of the, the archetypal witch's Sabbath. Um, very important night. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes place in spring. Uh, it happens uh, uh, on the evening of the last night of April running into the morning of the first day of May, uh, which we now think of generally as, as May Day, as the um, International Workers' Rights Day. But is you know, that that was a very magical moment. It's sort of the the spring equivalent of Halloween. Um, yep. This this moment when um, the, the doors between the worlds are cast open and um, you know, the the living and dead walk the earth, and it's it's a it's a one of the high points of uh, of a pagan year. Um, yeah, the other one's Nicholas. Yeah, yeah, and 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 these are these are dates that roughly coincide, uh, not exactly, but um, with um, solstices and and equinoxes. They're they're shifting moments in the calendar calendar year when the day or night are getting longer or shorter. And so they carry with them, um, a kind of metaphorical value, just like, you know, Easter is, is, is still a holiday of, uh, death and rebirth. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is the metaphor of the season, the season, of spring that the death is dead and, and new life springs forth. And, um, I happen to be in the, the UK in, in Oxford. Um, this would have been in, um, 96, 97 when I was, studying there. And, um, I found very interesting. I mean, there are a number of pagan practices that carry forward to modern day in the UK, but, um, one interesting one that's specific to Oxford is that there's a, uh, a rave that takes place on, um, on, they call it the May Day ball. Uh, but it takes place last day of April going into the first day of May and people stay up all night and, um, go out into the fields for, for concerts and take drugs and dance, which to me is a very, you know, it's a bacchanal. It's a, uh, it's an all night revel. Mm-hmm. And then the revel ends, uh, when dawn breaks, everybody files down into the city, um, where there's a, a bridge 
that passes over the part of the Thames that, that runs through Oxford. And I found interesting that particular section of the Thames is colloquially referred to as the Isis, um, which Will recognizes an Egyptian goddess of mm-hmm. mystery cult fame, um, who herself is inextricably tied up with stories of death and rebirth. Um, and so uh, in a sort of Christianization of this event, um, there are sort of mourning um, lauds sung uh, by a choir uh, at, uh, I think it's Christchurch College, that's right by the bridge there. And uh, local tradition has um, students at the schools dressed up in their finest, you know, men in tuxedos and women in long white uh, gowns uh, who in pairs will jump off the bridge into the cold waters uh, below and then uh, swim out to shore before everybody heads off to get a big breakfast. Um, And so I found that an interesting (laughs) fertility rite. Um, death and rebirth enactment. Um, you know, it's it's got everything that you want in a in a pagan celebration and and on a, a day of religious importance. It's really, I highly recommend if you find yourself in the Oxford area in spring um, to hang around for the May Day Ball. That's awesome. <laughs> that was, that would have that must have been awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's a good time, and it, you know, you get drunk and. Yeah, I, I, that's a sort of with the right focus and mindset. That's a sort of night where you could certainly see de- demons and talk to angels. So, awesome. so who who gets chosen to jump off of the bridge, or is that just something that you say? I'm going to be the guy that jumps off of the bridge. <laughs> I, I gather more more of the latter. Although with a lot of my experiences, you know, I'm I'm a sort of um, lifelong outsider. Um, so I, I have to always leave open the possibility that there's an inner um, level of, of knowledge that, that might remain inaccessible to me. Um, you know, uh, who, who, who can say they, they have their own secrets, no doubt. (laughs) But I get a feeling, go ahead. (laughs) It it, it appeared to be self-selected though. I, I think it's a matter of, uh, the people who wanted to carry on the tradition. And I doubt very many of them engaged with it in the way that I do, you know, like I, I doubt very many of them were telling themselves, oh, what I'm doing now is a, is an ancient practice having to do with the change of seasons and martyrdom and understanding of life and death are a, a closed circuit. You know, I, I doubt very many of them were thinking that, although that that is exactly what they're doing, you know. Yeah, hmm. they're participating in something that's as old as time without even knowing it. And you'd yeah, be the guy that'd bring it up and be like, "Dude, you're bringing it down." <laughs> well, it's it's kind of like people cutting an evergreen and putting it in their house. Sure, you know. Yep. Um, some people will understand what that means as far as life and death and and the season, and so, some people will just say that's what we do. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can I can relate to that. Um. I get a feeling that we are just scratching the surface of the amounts of stories and things that you've seen in your travels. Um, you, you, you did this for, you said you're, you're in the Peace Corps for a year and you prominently spent your time in, in Africa for the most part, or did you just go all over the place? It, it was two years uh, entirely in Africa. Um, 
you know, since then I've done some traveling in, in mostly in Europe, um, France and Holland and, uh, uh, done some research into my own history. Um, I, I hadn't said I, m- I might've led off with, um, my relationship with one of the last people burned as a witch in, in Europe. I still haven't made the trip to the town where the, she was burned. Um, wow. That's a story we need to have you back on to hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a, it's kind of compelling one, especially since she, she survived burning. So. Wow. I, yep. I, I, I suspect an actual witch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Oh my God. This see when I say this, this is the kiss of death. When I have, when I say, well, we need to have you back on for this, and then very oftentimes that person never pops back up on the show again. So, I don't want to say that I want to have you back on for that story. Well, we so, did that he came back. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, but I would, um, I would love to be back on. I very much enjoyed um, the perspective that you guys bring. Um, I find it very relatable. I think it's very much in alignment with my approach to the occult and uh, the unknown. So uh, I, I thank you for having me on and, and for thank the content you. you provide. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, we, we're people that we're kind of like a puppy dog. Once you feed us, we're going to, you know, you're, you're not going to get rid of us that easy. So <laughs> um, at some point or another, I, I, I'm sure I will bug you again about, about coming back on here and telling more of these stories. Um, as always, this is the part of the show where I give the guests the opportunity to promote anything they have, website, podcast, books, anything like that. So if you have anything you want to put out there, go ahead. Sure. You can find a lot of my stuff at uh, winstonconrad.com. That's my personal website, and, and I have sort of drawings and, and a little bit of writing, some observations. You can also listen to my podcast, uh, The Red Lodge. Um, the the audio is linked there. Um, these days, it's mostly a sound experiment. Um, I had been reviewing some books. And lastly, you can look for my writing and drawing at uh, mysteryschoolcomics.com. I produce comics with a sort of a a cult and a a horror uh, twist on them. Those can be found there. Did you also have a podcast as well? Was it Red Lodge or are you not doing that anymore? I I am doing the Red Lodge. It's it's sort of a regular publication because right now what I'm doing is taking audio from Dungeons and Dragons sessions that I play with my my brothers and um, cutting them up with the assistance of a DJ and uh, remixing them as sort of surreal soundscapes. That's cool. <laughs> that is getting published. It's somewhat irregular, but um, listen, it's it, have a listen sometime. It's very strange. If you like it, you'll very much like it. I think. So let me test out. your uh, let me test your geek cred here. Are you taking AD and D, D twenty three point oh four point oh five point oh? What system are you going at? Pathfinder, so three point five. Oh, okay, three point five. Yeah. Okay, you pass. Yeah. You pass as long as you didn't pass. say four point oh. Went to Africa, dude. He dealt with real mystics. Yeah, but it, there's only half baked mage. There's only two ways you should play Dungeons and Dragons, and that should either be A D and D, advanced D and D, or three or three point five. If any if you say any well, I guess five point is okay. I haven't played that version yet. <laughs> Just bear with me, folks. Um <laughs> so if you said four point a lot of them already. This this conversation might have accidentally been deleted, but anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I could, I could talk, uh, geeking gaming stuff with you for, for hours on end. Um, it's amazing that I managed to get laid in life, but anyways, um, (laughs) 
thank you very much for coming on here because there were snafus behind the scenes and this show has been through this weird curse over the last few weeks and hopefully maybe you have broken it um, <laughs> to a point where I'm about ready to start talking to my magic practitioner friends and say, hey, is there anything that you can do to kind of help us along here? You know, what have you. But um, yeah, you you too, Lobo. Get get to some candles there, man. Um, Word. So thank you for coming on here and, and making the time to come with us and talk with us on here because you're somebody that's very fascinating and I, we could sit and listen to your stories for hours and just gobble this stuff up. It's neat to talk to somebody who's been out worldly and seen these things and had direct firsthand experiences with these like obscure, out of the way things that most people don't have the ability to go out and see or learn or experience in any way, shape or form. So we can kind of vicariously live these things through you by hearing these stories. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks very much. Happy to share and happy to share with people who can understand and appreciate. Wow. It barely even beeped that time. I hope this is recording. (laughs) Yeah. Hope so. Uh, Winston Conrad, do check out some of his uh, stuff on his website. Uh, do a Google search if you can for any of his other appearances. He did a show back in October on Almost Educational, uh, delving into the mythology and folklore and history of werewolves, which I was yep. going to ask him tonight, and I didn't. I completely forgot about it. Uh, cases of lycanthropy outside of werewolves. Like, um, we, we've covered, we've talked about werewolves on this show ad nauseum for the most part. People that have been longtime listeners of the show, which by the way, Blue Adept, I got to give a shout out to Blue Adept, who I've been talking to on Twitter. He's been with us since the very, very beginning. He's been with us since day one. Sorry, man. And I don't, one of the too many people that are out there that have been with us this whole, I, I think we're going on eight or nine years now that how long have been with us. 2011. Yeah, so we're yeah we're we're going on eight years now. I figured it was somewhere around eight or nine years. There's there's not a whole lot of people left out there. They're out there, but there's not a whole lot of people out there that have been with us since the very beginning, since day one. And I'm not counting people who went and downloaded all the back episodes before we moved servers either. I'm talking about people that were there the first time we hit record and have been listening to us solid straight through. You people are rare, so it's cool to have you out there. Anyways. We have a few. <laughs> we have a few. They're gluttons for punishment, apparently. Uh, well, I don't know. Well, we've evolved over the years, so I'm always interested. That's one in... way to put it. Yes. Well, in the beginning, we sounded just like Mysterious Universe because we didn't know what the hell we were doing. And it was like, let's copy everybody no, no, that no. we know exactly. We didn't sound like them because they told us we sounded like dog shit. Well, we did at the time. We <laughs> did. Right, we did. We did. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that at all. That was when I had my Shure SM58 microphone, this little crappy Tascam 4-track recorder that I was using the mixing board off of. You had a headset microphone. Um, no, no, it wasn't even a headset microphone. Oh, that's I had right. A, I had a condenser mic. That's right. With a diaphragm in it that I got at a tag sale. That's right. And then uh, I remember, because just a little while ago, I dropped episode one because Soraya had it. He's like, yeah, I've got your old, I got a couple of your old episodes that I thought were lost and Soraya had them and sent them over to me and I dropped episode one and people were like, yeah, you guys sounded great other than the music being a little weird because I was, you know, I was playing more of the techno stuff I was into at the time. So mm. <laughs> and be like, oh yeah, you guys sound just fine, blah, blah. And I'm like, really? Thanks. We sound like Sorry, little kids. <laughs> we sound like little kids in, in the kindergarten. Anyways. Um, yeah, so thanks for Winston for coming on here and actually making it happen because of the snafu and stuff. We were like, well, let's just record a show tomorrow because me and you were too burnt out to be able to record Mm -hmm. last night. And what really sucked 
<laughs> I didn't get any sleep yesterday at all. Me and the wife got up super early to go see the Black Panther because we could only get a ticket for a 10.09 showing or something. For me, that's kind of early. And usually I do gaming on Friday night, so we canceled all of our game. My gaming group, we canceled that all off. First Nerds. problems. Yeah, I know. Well, if you lived by me, I would be dragging you into it, too. There's not a doubt in my mind. I'd be like, are you off Friday? Well, I got to. Okay, you're coming. You know, that, that's just how my, my mm. little cluster, my little my little coven of gamer bros works. Coven gamer. of gamer, gamer bros. bros. Correct. I've never been so discouraged in my life. Well, I've, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a thing. You know, we, we get together it and play now. wacky board games or, or role playing games. And 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 so, and so the monster walks into the room and future you. Well, which we talked about that in the podcast. But anyways, sort of. <laughs> so I was beat. So we're like, okay, we're recording tonight. So Maxwell House has Maxwell House Max Coffee now, which is their version of Death Wish. Yeah. So I drank it. I drank some of that. I'm like, I'm like dead tired. Try to go to sleep. So tired I couldn't sleep. I don't know if I ever if you've ever had that. Yep. So every day. <laughs> um. So showtime comes. Winston wasn't here. Um. We were going through the usual computer glitches, and I'm super wired on caffeine. Also, my wife went to, much like every other woman does, goes and buys the after Valentine's Day cheap candy sale. I do it. Yep. So, and I, I've been trying to live a fairly low-carb lifestyle, so I don't have a whole lot of chocolate sugar in Chocolate has no carbs. That's the problem. I wasn't eating chocolate. I have this thing for those little sour cherry ball candies, and I've also got a thing oh, for those Jesus. the little gummy hearts. Well, you know... I love gummies. Yeah. I love gummies. The little gummy hearts. So you I buy being star mix whenever I can. You being a former drug addict and you know you know what it's like where it's like, all right, well I ate one, I might as well just keep on going. I so, got a bag. Yeah, I got a, I had a bag of gummy jelly. So all day long I had been eating candy. So by the time it was recording time, I was amped up on caffeine and the sugar rush was kicking in. And then you were having problems and blah, and I'm like, and we're like, fuck it, we'll do it tomorrow. And that was how it all ended. Yep. So here's me at three o'clock in the morning, gritting my teeth, just like I wanted to put like pencils in my mouth so I could bite down on them, playing Ghost Recon. You know, I'm like, kill people. And, and, you know, and then I go to sleep for a little while. And then I wake up and you're like, did you sleep? I go, no, I haven't slept yet. Well, go back to sleep. Go back to sleep. Wake up. Hours later, and you're like, "When are we recording?" I guess we're recording yeah, right. now. And then Winston now. was on, and that's how it all fell together. So nice. that is the ramblings of me. <laughs> if you're still with us, <laughs> anyways, um, let's call it good. Next week we have a guest that fell through on us before. Hopefully everything will work, and we'll get this show back onto rails again. Um, just to let everybody know, Lobo has some time off coming from the show. Bits and pieces. Don't panic. You are a dance dad, and you have dance stamp competitions coming up, as you do every year at this time. Yep, every year. And I see that you're building props and getting ready for it. So yep. um, you, we're going to have... Uh, Those aren't even for, like, my blood children. They're for my dance daughters. <laughs> yeah, but still. I was, you know, I, I worked with Girl Scouts. My daughters were in Girl Scouts, so I know how that works. It's like, hey, the troop needs this. All right, let's build it, you know. We need a yep. cornhole game. All right, let's build a cornhole game. You know, <laughs> you just do what you got to do. It's it's part yep. of being in these things. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. So March, you you've got days off coming up in March and some in April. So we're gonna have a little bit of rotating guest hosts next month, as we normally do when this time of year comes up with you. So nobody panic. Yeah. There might be some Don't Tesla panic. shows. You know, everything's gonna be cool. The, the Tesla truck, the Tesla truck, the Tesla car says don't panic on its screen. They got launched in a space playing David Bowie with the dummy. You mean the one that has the dead hooker inside? Yeah. 
that that's the new internet that's the positive fun internet theory mm. that there's a dead hooker in the trunk of elon musk's tesla that shot into space with Perfect. the thing in it all right let's call it a show we're good we're good we'll see everybody take care this is rojan from detroit peace out don't over on sugar <laughs> this is lobo from connecticut try the mountain dew ice lemon line i'm already through a case of it oh it sucks <laughs> Fuck you, it sucks. It sucks. You suck. It doesn't taste bad, but I liked it better when it was called Sprite or or Slice. That Does was Sprite when... have caffeine? No. Does Slice have caffeine? Okay, no. okay, you've got me there. That is the right, one then. redeeming factor, but it just tastes like a mist. That's what it's called, Sierra Mist. That's what it is. Does that have caffeine? No, it doesn't have caffeine, but that's exactly what it tastes like. It doesn't taste like anything like Mountain Dew. It doesn't. It's not supposed to. Have you it tried? Code Red. Have you changed? Well, well, that still has all of the weird Mountain Dew flavors have a Mountain Dewy flavor of some kind. No, they do not, dude. Code Red tastes like cherry. It doesn't yeah, it taste tastes like, like cherry Mountain, Mountain Dew. Dew. It tastes no, like it cherry. doesn't. It tastes like cherry soda. What's the blue Mountain? The blue Mountain Dew actually tastes like blueberry Mountain Dew. Yes, it does. Well, there you go. It doesn't taste like Mountain Dew. It tastes like berries. no, but they have a Mountain Dew dude, flavor you read to the them. Side and you see Mountain Dew, and in your little mind, it tastes like Mountain Dew. It you doesn't. are so passionate about this. That you're shouting into the microphone and going into distortion because you're, you're so adamantly defending the new Mountain Dew. I admire that. You I should. Do. It's not Fago. I admire. Oh. It's not oh. Fago, dude. I would so much rather have Fago. Okay. But I thought you were. I thought no, you dude, were. Criticizing. You can't talk shit about Fago, dude. Okay. That stuff is amazing. All right. Well, we're done. We're out of here. Peace. Bye <laughs> uh, bye. Like cake in a crisis 
old and I was like, okay, so I, I, I restored my hard drive and I started uploading software and I had convinced myself that I had overcome the, the jinx at that point. But that, that's never the way things work out, right? Are you familiar with Stephen King's Pet Cemetery? Oh, absolutely. Okay, you know that, that uh, lulling sound that Judd talks about, the power? Yeah. Stay away, old man. That's what this is when you talk about it. <laughs> yeah, because we've got a curse. We don't. We can't. We literally can't tell anybody when when someone's coming on the show because every time we have, like, a rock will fall from the sky and crush the person, or they'll get abducted, or something <laughs> happens. For being a child, a pedophile, or you know. Yeah, they just. <laughs> oh yeah, that, the gambit. That actually, actually, that that actually did happen. Yeah, somebody somebody was arrested for being a pedophile, and they couldn't come on the show. 